Welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the Scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Zach and Krista Horton, and we are excited to study with you this week sections 51 through 57 in the Doctrine and Covenants. These are exciting sections because uh, the church is on the move again. Even though we just barely got to Kirtland a couple of uh, weeks ago, we are now moving to Missouri, or at least some are moving to Missouri. And uh, the expansion, the growth, the ongoing revelation that comes is uh, almost staggering in the coming weeks and months. And this is the beginning of that that, uh, unfolding and expanding. So some exciting sections that we get to study. Yeah, and I think it's fun to see how the revelation and how the people respond and change and grow from what's happening here. It's, yeah, exciting is well, what you described it And as. it's fitting for us. <laughs> I mean, we've mentioned this probably ad nauseum, but uh, the scriptures, I think intentionally, as we study them with our own personal situations and contexts in mind, the scriptures mirror or can mirror what's happening in our own lives as we find relevance in them. And so as we see early church members trying to adjust to all of this outside influence that they're, that's being thrown at them, we also face similar wrestles as we try and grapple with what the world will look like for us, for our families, and for our neighbors, our communities, um, because of what the outside world world has thrown at us with the pandemic and with everything that's gone on in the past couple of years. So really relevant sections if you're feeling the uh, uneasiness of change and the desire to find stability and to find a home. So with that in mind, I actually want to start with um, <laughs> with maybe a little bit of a lighter note and a question, Krista, for you. Um I, and maybe I've sent you one of these, but I have found a couple of YouTube videos that are really funny and they're people talking to their past selves. And so it's everyone like if my 2021 self was talking to my 2019 self about 2020, what would that discussion look like? That would be actually really funny. I don't think you sent me those. Surprisingly, you I sent will me. I have to send it to you. <laughs> you send me all sorts where I'm like, not funny, Zach. Sorry. <laughs> Occasionally, I get a real laugh from them, though. You send some good ones sometimes. Well, so if it were you, if you were to go back in time, mm-hmm. and the rule is you can't explain the pandemic to yourself. You you just, you have to prepare yourself for 2020 without saying, here's what 2020 is going to look like. So if you went back in time to your 2019 self, and we're going to give yourself some advice, what would you say? It's funny because the first thing that comes to my head is actually kind of contradictory because the first thing that comes to my mind is forget all of your hobbies because all you're (laughs) going to do is feed your children and find activities for them. (laughs) Because in some ways that's, or and help them with their school. Um. So, but on the flip side of that, I think embrace some new things. Be ready to... (laughs) To learn a few new things and try something different. And then the last one I thought, because I realize those are contradictory, but they're also true at the same time. I <laughs> you, think will there have, were... you will have no time to yourself and all you will have is time. <laughs> exactly. And then the second one that comes to my mind is make sure you stock up on some good chocolate. 
<laughs> it's been a lifesaver for I us. I think the salted caramel chocolates and then oh. the dark chocolate peanut butter cups have been mm-hmm. something that have been on rotation in our house maybe a little too much. Well, my mine were similar. Stock up on, and I would just say, stock up on toilet paper and puzzles. There you go. Enough said. Enough said. <laughs> <laughs> Those are good ones. I well, like that. I think the reason why uh, that idea came into my mind as we were studying this week and preparing for this episode is um, I think this week's study has a little bit of that feel to it. Um, In section 57, it's the first section that's received in Missouri, which will be Zion, is designated as Zion and the gathering place of Zion, the center place of Zion and independence. Um, And we have spent uh, the entire church history, actually, building up to this moment. For example, in some of the early sections to missionaries, sections 6, 11, 12, 14, all of them have this verse in them that says, Now, as you have asked, behold, I say unto you, keep my commandments and seek to bring forth and establish the cause of Zion. Uh, We'll talk more about this maybe next week, but Zion is is that has roots in the Old Testament. It is a prophesied city where God reigns, his law rules, and we finally have peace. And so right at the beginning of the Doctrine and Covenants, the beginning of the church, before it's even founded, people are being told to seek to establish this cause of Zion. Notable among them, this is to Joseph Smith, section 21. For thus saith the Lord God, him, meaning Joseph, have I inspired to move the cause of Zion in mighty power for good, And his diligence I know, and his prayers I have heard, and his weeping for Zion I have seen. And then to Emma Smith, this is section 25, uh, verse 2, A revelation I give unto you concerning my will, and if thou art faithful, and walk in paths of virtue before me, I will preserve thy life, and thou shalt receive an inheritance in Zion. From our episode a couple of weeks ago, from our study a couple of weeks ago in section 45, uh, there was that great reference about Uh, those that are gathered to Zion, where the terror of the Lord is, but that that terror is because Zion will be a place of safety and persistent peace. And it says in verse 70, it'll be said among the wicked, let us not go up to battle against Zion, for the inhabitants of Zion are terrible, wherefore we cannot stand. And so this prophecy has been strung throughout a lot of the revelations that we've read. And so the expectation for Zion is going to be very high. Now, next week, we'll talk about this. When they get there, Zion is not at all what they expected. It looks like 2020, for lack of a better comparison. (laughs) But um, their hope, their expectations, and that reality don't, don't match. And isn't it true, just those expectations that they must have had for what Zion was going to look like? Because it really is all that they talked about and all that they build up to Um, And I like the proof that you used in the scriptures there of just how much it was talked about. And I'm sure that a lot of the reason that many of these people came to the gospel in the first place and listened to Joseph was because of this thought of this gathering. Yeah. So here's one, well, two final references. From our study last week, section 49 has this, uh, I think, beautiful prophecy in it. This is verse 24 and 25. But before the great day of the Lord shall come, Jacob shall flourish in the wilderness, and the Lamanites shall blossom as the rose. Zion 
shall flourish upon the hills and rejoice upon the mountains and shall be assembled together unto a place which I have appointed. Uh, there's been other revelations to this effect that the Lord is going to establish a Zion. He hasn't told them exactly yet where it is in section 45. This week he does. And when they get there, and it's not what they want, Joseph asks this question. This is the introduction to section 57. When will the wilderness blossom as the rose? When will Zion be built up in her glory? And where will thy temple stand unto which all nations shall come in the last days? That's evidence of the somewhat confusing um, experience they have when they get there. What we want to do over the next two episodes is study um, Zion. Now, next week, we'll talk more about when we get there and what it's like and how to make it. But what we want to do this week is we want to have that discussion. <laughs> if, if those saints that see Zion when they get there could go back in time and highlight some of the revelations that come in preparation for Zion, what would they highlight? What has the Lord told his saints to prepare them for Zion that we could draw upon in our own seeking for the Zion that the Lord has for us? So the question that we want to invite you to ask yourself as you study is a very simple one, but it's the one that was on the minds and hearts of people in 1831, and it is, where is Zion? Maybe more personally for you, where is my Zion? Where is that place of, of peace and promise the Lord would give to me? What we want to do in helping answer that question is share some lessons about Zion before we get to Zion. What should we know in 2019 about 2020 before we get to 2020? What should we know in sections 51 to 57 about Zion before we actually get to Zion? Well, then we're actually going to take this in a with a gardening twist to it. Not a twist, a gardening theme. Not because we're putting that on, but because as we studied, we couldn't help but see the the farming, the gardening, the growing analogies. Mm. As we talked about, you know, he talks about when is the desert going to flourish as a rose? That was Joseph's question that Zach read. Um, the land of our inheritance. There's a lot of analogies given to planting and to how this is going to look based on those analogies, which of course we really liked. So we're going to kind of go with that and because it helped us and also because... Um, I have learned in 2020 for myself that I do not know how to grow plants. <laughs> and so my 2020, that was one of my many disappointments of 2020, was learning to embrace my black thumb. What's that? Wouldn't you say, Zach, uh -huh, that's one of the things uh -huh. I would tell myself. Like, just prepare yourself to know that even though you're going to try, it might not be exactly how you see it. Well, there's a great power. These these gardening metaphors, these planting metaphors, uh, there's a lot of rich depth, I think, in the Lord using that symbolism to teach us about Zion. Yes, and as usual, there's just so many things to learn from Mother Nature and from Earth and growing and how all of these things um, can help us in our own personal growth as well. So the first one actually comes in section 51, starting in verse 16. And you'll see why this stuck out to me, but it says, And I consecrate unto them this land for a little season, until I the Lord shall provide for them otherwise, and command them to go hence. I love the... 
um, thought of the season, of that things come and go. And also, for me, thinking of the saints as they move from place to place, that had to be really hard, and it was. We've seen them being distressed about, wait, we just barely got this place going, and we know we know now that in their future holds a lot of other places where they're going to build up a, a beautiful place and a lot of put a lot of work into a place, and then it's only going to be their Zion, so to speak, for a season. It's not going to last long, and I think we can see that in our own lives too, that seasons come and go and change, and I think that's part of something that's really hard as a human, but also really beautiful as a human, that we get to experience different places and build different things. But knowing that usually God only gives us those things for a season can be a really comforting lesson. Well, I think we will, we as a church membership uh, only came to understand this principle much later on when prophets started teaching about Zion as a spiritual place. It's a it's a state of heart and mind. It's a state of community. It's not necessarily just a physical location. Uh, but these early saints are looking at it definitely as a physical location. Well, and I think it was in a, in a sense. Mm-hmm. You know, they went to, they went west for right, Zion right. to establish that. So it had a lot more physical. But I love that truth of uh, things being for a little season, that sometimes Zion moves from place to place or time to time, or situation to situation, um, just as the seasons change. Uh, I think verse 17 goes along really well with it. The hour and the day is not given unto them, wherefore let them act upon this land as for years. Now contextually what he's talking about is Kirtland. You're in Kirtland, and I just told you that uh, you will only be here for a little season, that Zion is going to be elsewhere. However, I want you to act on this land, in this season, as if you're going to be here for years, which some of them are only going to be here briefly. The Colesville branch comes to Kirtland only to be essentially have no place, and they have to keep on going to Missouri. They're there for a very short season. But the revelation is, I want you to act as if it's for years. And I think there's a great balance in understanding that seasons change, but that we should be uh, present in the season that we're living and be all in and all there and uh, be a part of that season. Well, and throughout these revelations to people, I I liked the word that the Lord used. He talked about being planted in the land of your inheritance to do this work. Um, I like that idea of that being planted where you are. Like you said, Zach, that idea of really being present in your situation even if it's for a short time. Maybe you're going to get grafted and rooted and taken to a different place, but being present where you are helps you to see the beauty in your situation, even if it looks like 2020, right? (laughs) I really like that. Um, Another word that shows up repeatedly in these sections uh, is the word fruit. Uh, we see it in section 52, verse 17, and verse 34, and in a couple of other places. Uh, but I was captivated not by the fruit, but by what leads to the fruit. Uh, the ground, if you will, in which we are to be planted, or the ground that brings that fruit. And this is maybe a bit of a stretch, uh, but starting in section 52, verse 15, it says, Wherefore, he that prayeth, whose spirit is contrite, the same is accepted of me if he obey mine ordinance. 
He that speaketh, whose spirit is contrite, whose language is meek and edifieth, the same is of God, if he obey mine ordinances. And again, he that trembleth under my power shall be made strong and shall bring forth fruit of praise and wisdom. Um, when I read that, I had one of those moments where I realized I've used the word contrite. I know how it's used, but I didn't know what it actually meant. And so I went on a word search to find out what the word contrite means and found out that in every place I looked, I looked it up in the Old Testament. Uh, so I looked at the Hebrew definition. I looked up the etymology. So I looked up the Latin roots. I looked it up in Greek. And in every place, it means the same thing. The word contrite doesn't just mean sincere, which is what I think I've usually used it as. It means literally to be broken or ground down. Something that was contrite was something that was uh, pulverized, if you will, to make it malleable uh, and a place for change and growth. And so when the Lord is talking about being contrite, uh, that's what he's talking about. It's it said really well in section 56. Blessed are the poor who are poor in heart, whose hearts are broken and whose spirits are contrite. That's a parallel. Hearts broken, spirits contrite. For they shall see the kingdom of God coming in power and great glory unto their deliverance. For the fatness of the earth shall be theirs. In order for us to have fruit in Zion, whatever that symbolically means for you, uh, the lesson I learned for me is that my heart, my spirit has to be contrite. And sometimes present experiences that are difficult lead to a broken heart or a contrite spirit. They're not evidence that I'm doing something wrong. They're the Lord helping me to have the kind of spiritual heart I need, the spiritual soil I need to accept the growth that he sees in me. Well, I love the thought of the brokenness that happens and the way that we get there is opening up ourselves or maybe being humbled. At least that's the word I think I often use is that feeling of being humbled and, and broken essentially in what you thought was going to happen and how things are really playing out. Um, and I like thinking of, it was actually in a recent episode of the last episode we watched of The Chosen where they were using um, the old-fashioned plows what they used at that time. And they were plowing the ground by pulling it and literally breaking. It's essentially a kind of a knife that they pull behind them to break the land for the seeds. And the land that they were tilling was not very pleasant. It was deserty and hard. And I think that there's even a lesson in that is that the ground that each of us breaks is going to look very different. The ground that we each have is very different. Some will be more fertile, easily broken. Some won't be. And at different seasons, I think we can be in different grounds and have different soil. And this verse in section 52 talks about the fruit that comes in verse 34. But before that, in verse 33, Yea, verily I say, let all these take their journey unto one place in their several courses, and one man shall not build upon another's foundation, neither journey in another's track. And what came to my mind is this verse talks about different places, different courses. One man's foundation doesn't look like another's, and your journey isn't going to be in another's track. And I just thought of how important it is for us as we are breaking ground, as we are seeing our own fruits or other people's fruits, is to remember the, that comparison 
is a fruitless, huh? Just see that, Zach? Uh-huh. A fruitless effort to put our mind into because everyone's journey, everyone's course, everyone's foundation, everyone's journey or track is going to look different. And so comparison is not a way that leads us and helps us learn about our own personal Zion. So removing that can be such an important piece of, and if we're going to keep going on this analogy of gardening or farming, is I thought someone who puts, is in charge of a cornfield and farms corn, their success is going to look very different from someone who is harvesting tulips or who is presenting a tulip garden. Yet both of them are producing their goal or producing the thing that they hoped to produce. And so just eliminating comparison, and maybe this one speaks to me because it's one that I'm trying to work on and have been working on for a long time. But remember that each of our journeys look very, very different. And that's a beautiful and an okay thing. Yeah. Well, maybe that's why fruit is a appropriate symbol for this point, because all fruit looks different, tastes different, comes from different trees, different climates, soils, and it's fruitless. It's impossible even to compare fruits. And I don't think that's what the Lord wants anyway. We labor in the vineyard uh, in the place that he tells us, in the way that he tells us, and for the fruit that he will give to us. And that's going to look very different from someone who's laboring next to us. Yeah, in fact, I like the way that this was taught in these sections that we studied in section 57. Um, The Lord is telling different people what their assignments are. So that Sidney Gilbert will stand in this office, Edward Partridge in this office, and he goes on and on to talk about the different parts and roles that people are going to play. And he even talks about that they will plant them in certain places, Mm -hmm. which is also kind of cool. But that each person, Zion can't be built if we were all the same. Um, Each person, each role, each talent, everything that we bring is needed to to build Zion. Yeah. Well, if we can share just one final thought, uh, in all of this study, there's a lot that we need to know about Zion before we get to Zion. You know, we need to understand that there are different seasons, but to be present. We need to understand that our ground needs to be broken before it can be planted. We need to understand that there's different fruits and that comparison isn't helpful. But I think in all of that, there's one thing that we need to remember, maybe more than all of those, and that is this. Section 52, verse 43. In all of this direction the Lord is giving to his saints, he's very clear to them whose Zion this is, whose land it is, and who is ultimately in charge. 52 verses 42 and 43. And thus, even as I have said, if you are faithful, you shall assemble yourselves together to rejoice upon the land of Missouri, which is the land of your inheritance, which is now the land of your enemies. But behold, I, the Lord, will hasten the city in its time and will crown the faithful with joy and with rejoicing. In other words, I'm asking you to gather there, and it might not look the way that you expect it to, but remember, I, the Lord, am in charge of Zion, and I will hasten the city in its time. 54 verse 10. Be patient in tribulation until I come. And behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. And they who have sought me early shall find rest to their souls. Even so, amen. Very similar thought in section 56. Verse 19. 
Behold, the Lord shall come, and his recompense shall be with him, and he shall reward every man, and the poor shall rejoice. I think it's important to remember as we labor in the vineyard that there is an ultimate gardener or master of the vineyard. Uh, He's the one that oversees the ground and the planting and the watering and the nourishing and the growth and the harvesting. All of that happens under his watchful care. Um, It's important that I love and labor, but it's maybe more important that I remember that he cares and converts and not mixing up my responsibilities with him can provide me a lot of peace as I look for and look to build Zion. Thank you so much for studying this week. We hope that you enjoy your study and have a great week. We'll see you next week.